Alrighty, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, so yeah, that was so fun. Thank you, Delaney, for the idea for the clothing exchange. That was so fun. We'll have to do that yes. more often because yes. I think it's just fun to clear it out. Oh, she's coming for the phone. Hello, podcast. <laughs> She could be our podcast producer. Would you like to look again? All right, so go ahead and open up to Exodus. We are going to be covering a lot today, um, but like we we are not going to read all the chapters because you'll be it'll we'll have a sleepover, the Exodus sleepover, (laughs) riveting. Um, (laughs) um, So yeah, today we're going to be in the last part of chapter thirteen, chapter twenty seven. No, chapter twenty three. Chapter twenty three. Through chapter 27. And no, stay away. (laughs) And then we're going to skip over to chapter 35 through 40 because those those chapters repeat themselves. So like chapter, um, I think it's 25 through 27, repeats itself in chapter 35 through 40 because it's all about the tabernacle, which is like God giving them instructions on how he wants his building specifically to be made. Um, (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Andrea. Outside of mine, out of mine. Um, So yeah, it's gonna be a lot, but I think that uh, again, like I just encourage you, like I I did last week, that we're we're there's a lot of things that we're gonna skip over that we're not gonna hit on, things that we might talk about a little bit, but we won't go super into depth with. So I just really encourage you to take time and study God's word on your own and dig in. It's obviously awesome to study together and to be together in the same space and be able to talk and relate to one another and come to our own conclusions about God's word together, but it's also really good to have that personal time with the Lord, just you and him. Um, So I just encourage you to do that. Um, So we're going to start out in chapter 23, and this is where God makes the covenant with his people official. Um, So how would you guys describe a covenant? What does this mean? Binding? Yeah. (laughs) Binding? This is what the motion you say a promise that's forever? Yeah. yeah. A promice that's forever? It's like a pinky promise. Yeah. It's like a pinky promise times like a thousand. Because a covenant is like binding. So it's like no matter what, like it's a covenant. A covenant is binding. So I think of marriage, us married women in here. Our covenant with our husbands is binding. No matter what Luke does, I have committed to him and I'm saying I'm going to stick with you because we're in a covenant. And so God, with us, makes a covenant with us, and basically, like, I'm making a covenant with you the moment you accept Jesus, but you are never going to leave me, you know? I have made a covenant with you. And then here, God is making a covenant with the Israelites and saying, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. I am going to be faithful to you. I am going to be your God. And nothing you do is going to stop that, but nothing that you do, everything that you do will will have consequences, if that makes sense, good or bad. Um, so yeah, covenant is like being a promise times a thousand. Um, so looking at Exodus 23, we'll just dive right in here. Um, verses 20 to 21 of chapter 23 um, describes God promising an angel who's going to be sent down. Um, so it says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him. For he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Um, so, there I looked up a lot of different things about who this angel could be. Because sometimes the Bible says, like, specific angels. So, like, we know, like, the archangel Michael, right? And there's other angels that have names or angels that we see several times. They're just, like, the head angels. 
Um, but then sometimes there's these things called Christophanies. Have you guys ever heard of those? Mm-hmm. They're really cool instances in the Old Testament where Jesus Christ actually appears, or Jesus Christ is referred to or showed in to human beings. Um, so in this case, I think that Jesus, that God is talking about Jesus here. It's a covenant promising that he's going to send Jesus um, one day. But it could also be something totally opposite. But the commentary I read said Jesus. I think this is like a version of a Christophany. Christophany. Um, so you guys can come to your own conclusions. But I just think that's really cool that Jesus is mentioned here. Um, also something cool to look into on your own time is Christophanies in the Old Testament. Just because they're so cool to see like our Savior being revealed before he like came to earth. Like that is so cool. So you should look into that if you have time. Um, so God has a warning for them. So he's making this awesome promise to them. He's saying, I'm going to care for you. I'm going to bring you into this land. You're going to have victory over these people groups that look so strong and so mighty. And I'm going to give you victory over them. And you're going to have the land flowing with milk and honey. But he has a warning for them in, in verses 23. Um, he says, when my angels go before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Pezzarites and the Canaanites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites, I will blot them out. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars into pieces. Um, so what's the warning here? What is God warning them of? <clears throat> do not worship other gods. They're going to come into interactions with a lot of people that believe a lot of different things and worship a whole lot of other gods. It's going to be so tempting to want to go after their gods. So in our present day, what are the quote-unquote gods of the world that we as Christians might be tempted to go to? Other religions. Other religions, yeah. It could be tempting to go to a religion that seems easier or maybe just sounds nicer. Addiction mm. and all of the things that we can be addicted to. Yeah, addiction for sure. Money, money, success, the picture perfect life. Yeah. You walk into America and it's like, here's the American dream. But we're Christians, so do we fall for the American dream or do we continue to follow Jesus no matter what it costs us? Um, so we're not much different than the Israelites. We're being brought into new places all the time. We're being inter- we're interacting with new people all the time, just like the Israelites are. And we're constantly going to be tempted. I don't know if you guys have ever been out and about. Um, there's times in my life I can remember that I've like been tempted to fall into sin that I've been around other people with. Um, even though I thought, I was like, I'm a faithful Christian. I'll never fall into that temptation. And then you're with people in that situation, and you just feel the temptation. It just happens. Um, so God is telling them that he's, he's God. He knows what's best for them. And that no matter what, he... <laughs> she's so cute. It's <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this is so fun. Um, so continuing on in that passage, um, God basically promises them that he's going to provide them bread and water. So he's going to practically care for them and nurture them. He's going to provide them life. So he actually says, like, if you follow me and you do as I say, I'll make sure that no babies die in your land. How amazing of a promise is that, right? And he's like, if you follow me, this will not happen. And then he's also promising victory. So he's like, no matter who you go up against, no matter how big the army is, no matter how strong the people are, 
I promise that I will bring you to victory. Um, so the people had to trust that no matter, no matter the situation, no matter how, um, how out of control they felt in the situation, God was going to bring them to victory. But God's also saying that if you don't follow those things, there's going to be consequences. There's, and that happens all throughout the Old Testament, as we'll see that. But Israelites will fall away, and God will purposely allow people to come in and take them captive and make them slaves simply because they forsake God. Forsake God. Forsook. Forsook God. Jesus. Every time I make a mistake, I'm just going to say that. Um, so, yeah. Any questions over the last part of 23? Guys, just skim through it real fast. Cool. All right, we'll move into chapter 24. So, review, what's a mediator? A middleman. Middleman. Yeah. Middleman. So, Moses is the mediator for the Israelites and God. So, the Israelites cannot go before God on their own. They need someone to stand in the middle because God is way too holy, way too powerful. He actually tells them to take like four steps back from the mountain when he comes down because he's like, I'll obliterate you because I'm so holy and you are not. And then he sets apart Moses to be the mediator, the one that comes up. And who does Moses symbolize? Who's he a picture of? Jesus. Yeah. So like, Jesus. <laughs> so now Jesus, Jesus is our mediator, right? Because we don't have to fear... We don't have to fear God in the same way the Israelites did. Like, God is worthy of our fear, but we can also go to him and have full access to him anytime because Jesus is the one that stands in the way. and He tore the curtain, as we're going to talk about later. So here we see the covenant confirmed. So God is going to bring the Israelites to victory and into the promised land. Um, and this was his promise, but he, he doesn't just make this promise and then say, go live however you want to live. Like, I promise to give you the life you would, you want, but you just live however you want. He wants their full-fledged obedience. He wants all their allegiance. Um, and God deserves that because he is God. And sometimes God's allegiance to God isn't easy, but it's always worth it. Um, so then Moses offers uh, sacrifices of peace. Um, so we see in um, verse, I should have written it down, uh, verse 7, 5, sorry that he, offered, he sacrificed peace offerings to the Lord. So why do you guys think it's appropriate in this context to offer a peace offering to God? Mm-hmm. Just like this? Mm-hmm. Oh, is this supposed to like foreshadow like Jesus? Like kind of God is saying like, mm-hmm. hey, the only way to me is how Christ saves. So Jesus, like, you're mm-hmm. not just foreshadowing the only way to peace. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like foreshadowing the only way to peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Being like not at peace with God is like the most terrifying thing ever because mm-hmm. then you're, you're basically going to face his wrath unless you have Jesus as a mediator. So this covenant that God makes with the people, he's basically declaring to them, if you are obedient to what I say, you will be my people and I will care for you. It's an act of peace. Um, and it's also a reflection of the peace that we have with God when we accept Jesus as our Savior. Um, so, And also, there's this part in here where Moses throws blood at the people. I don't know if you guys read ahead and saw that. Um, and when I first... It's in verse 8. It says, And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance to all these words. And when I first read this, I was like, that is so weird. Like, why would he sacrifice and then throw blood on the people? Like, that's so strange. But as I thought more about it, I realized the significance of it. So what do you guys think the significance is of Moses throwing the blood of the sacrificed lamb on those people? 
touch with Jesus later. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think of the sacrifice way of representing the blood of Jesus that mm. we don't know anymore. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's not physically on us, yeah. but it's like spiritually on us. But yeah, such a cool picture. And Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no sacrifice for sin. So God's way of doing, of making sin right is saying there has to be blood shed in order for sin to be made right. So that's why there's this lineup of peace sacrifices and sin sacrifices and all these different laws on how to sacrifice because God says if you sin, there's always going to be a consequence and that consequence needs, and that payment must be made with blood. Um, so that's Hebrews 9.22. Um, so yeah, and then at the end of this, we see in verse 17 that the present, what the presence of God looked like. Um, so I'll go ahead and read that for us. Um, now the appearance of the glory of God was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, so God does not change, right? God is the same God as this God displayed on the mountain as he is today. And I, I'm very guilty of making God fit into my mind where I don't think about him as this powerful, majestic, holy being that can shake mountains and and light things on fire and literally destroy things with his just very presence. Um, he's way bigger than we could ever dream and he doesn't change, so he's the same God now. And like, we don't have to be scared of him because we have Jesus, um, but he is, wor- he is worthy of all our praise, honor, and our fear in the sense that we respect him and honor him with everything that we do and say. Um, so if you pray anything this week, I just encourage you to pray that God would reveal to you just how powerful and big and holy he is because the more that we understand how holy he is, the more that we want to obey him and the more that we see that he's worthy of all our obedience because who wants to follow someone that's just kind of kind of perfect? Who wants to dedicate their life to someone who's like, oh, they're a nice guy. Like, no, God, like God is holy and merciful and powerful and shakes mountains. He is worthy of every single breath that we take and worthy of all the praise we could possibly give. Um, I'm convinced that all the sin in my life would just diminish if I just realized how big and holy and great God was. Um, so yeah, I just encourage you guys to do that this week. Um, so yeah, any questions, comments, concerns of heresy? Concerns of heresy? <laughs> you guys say something, Andrea? No, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> no. Okay, cool. Sorry, is this, am I going too fast? Okay, good. All right, so this next part we're going to be skipping around a lot. Um, God gives them instructions on how to build a sanctuary for a temple. Um, so what do you guys know about temples in the Old Testament? What was their purpose? <coughs> it was supposed to be like the dwelling place of like God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. where God dwelled among his people. Mm-hmm. Why did he have to have like a temple? Mm-hmm. Why did he want a temple? Why? Like the Holy Spirit had to come there. Mm. Yeah, he needed a place to stay. There hadn't been <clears throat> payment, so there was still separation yeah. between God and man, so he had to have a specific separate place to be, because he couldn't just be roaming around Yeah, with all the sin hanging out in the camp, you know? <laughs> he had to yeah. have a specific place that was sinless, that was pure, that was holy, mm. that had pure yeah. standards where he could be. Yeah. And, this, and the temple, the sanctuary, was very pure because they had to follow line by line the instructions that God gave them. And they were very picky instructions. Like, 
they took up they take up pages and pages and pages of the Bible, um, and a lot of them are kind of interesting. But it's what God saw was good. Um, so the temple is where God dwelled, and it's where people would go to make sacrifices, and it's where the high priest would go into the holy of holies, where like where the presence of God was. Um, to make sacrifices for all the people once a year on the Day of Atonement. Um, so the temple is a foreshadowing of when God and Christ would come to dwell on the earth. So it's like just foreshadowing Christ, but it's also foreshadowing the fact that those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, we are the temple now because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So we are now this like holy temple, even though I don't feel holy at all. You know, I'm still very much a sinner, but God still dwells in me because of the, the payment Jesus has made. Um, so there's seven major parts in the tabernacle that we're going to go over today, and, and each one, each one has a purpose, and each one has a significance to it, um, and so I'm really excited about it. Um, so in chapter 25, verses 10 through 22, it describes the Ark of the Covenant. Um, oh, the papers. I'll be right back. I just printed them off. Did your Bible just break? No, it's been broken for Oh, months. okay. I specialize in gracefulness. Gracefulness. <laughs> um, so yeah, in, in chapter 25, verses 10 through 22, it describes the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolizes God's presence was powerful, was majestic, and merciful. Um, so when Moses would meet with God, he God would dwell especially like within this Ark somehow. So God's power, God's presence was especially present in this Ark. Um, and God made it very clear that anyone who touched the ark, they would die. And he even made special instructions that when they would move from one place to another, there were these rods they put on it so that no one would touch it. And there was a few instances where someone did touch it and died. Um, that's in Numbers 4, 15, and 2 Samuel 6, 6-7. So, one of them, he was literally, like, he was falling, and he just went to catch it. And he died. And he died. Which just shows, like, God meant what he said. Because I was, I was wrestling with that this week because I was like, like, God, that was an accident. Like, why would you let that happen? But God is true to his word. And when he says, like, you touch it, you die. He means it. So, yeah, it, anyone who touched the ark would die because the presence of God was so especially present in the ark that it would just kill you if you touched it. Um, and then the lid of the ark was the atonement seat or the mercy seat. And here, God would reveal his mercy when the high priest would sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice on top of the ark. So they would kill the lamb, and then they would sprinkle the blood on top of the ark, and that would cover the sins for the people. Um, so it's the mercy seat. So how cool is it that this ark displays not only the, like, the fearful power of God that could kill you if you touch it, but also displays the amazing mercy God has to cover sins of people who don't deserve to have their sins covered for. Um, so yeah, I, I think that God's, I guess I'm going to ask this in a sense of a, in a question, but how should God's power, how does understanding God's power, hmm, I had it written down in just a statement, but I want to ask it as a question. What's the statement? Just God's 
Okay, I'll just say How should God's power amaze God's, us? <laughs> God's power should amaze us that he shows, like, that he shows mercy to us. The more that we understand his power, the more we should be in sheer, like, confusion of why he shows mercy to us. Um, so, yeah. This isn't a question for you guys to answer, but this is a question for you just to think about. But are you in awe of the fact that God loves you? And what does that, what does that change in your heart? So, do you think about how does like how does God love me? Like I know He does. Why does He love me? I want to like. Does it lead you to praise Him? Does it lead you to honor Him? Um, because God is this perfect, holy God who yet shows us so much mercy, and that helps us love Him even more. Um, yeah. Um, and then the table of bread. Um, so this represented God's presence through provision, and there are twelve loaves of bread symbolizing twelve tribes. And the table was a reminder that every tribe played a role in God's family. Each tribe had a seat at the table. Um, and when I read that, I was like, that reminds me of Maddie Markland. <laughs> she loves the table analogy. Um, but it also reminded people that God would feed them and sustain them physically and spiritually. It was a reminder of like his provision. So there's always bread at the table in the tabernacle. Always a loaf of bread there, just as a symbol um, that God would provide. And that's in verses 23 to 30. Um, and then we have the golden lampstand. Um, so throughout the Bible, God's presence is described as light. So why is God's presence described as light? Why did God choose to let light be the thing that described his presence? Because it overtakes darkness. Mm. Yeah. Anywhere that light is lit, the darkness just disappears. You also can't ignore it. Like, you can't not see yeah, light, even if it's dark. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you can't hide it. I was thinking about how if you look at the sun, like, directly, it, like, starts hurting your eyes. Yeah. Like, God's yeah. holiness is quite similar. Like, if you look at God, like, does this hurt your eyes? Like, it actually hmm. kills you. Yeah. So, I don't know if that has something to do. Good. But it's kind of I mean, it's definitely not a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> it is going to be really cool to get to heaven one day and actually be able to look at him yeah. and not die. I'll just, I'll just be sitting there weeping like, wow, oh, this yeah. is amazing. Uh, <laughs> die again. Yeah. But yeah, throughout the Bible, God describes himself as light because um, it reflects his holiness, his purity, his radiance, the fact that he lights up the darkness. And he's the opposite of darkness. Um, so in addition to the sacrifices, the Israelites were told to bring oil for, as a gift to the Lord for the lamp. Um, so they were, they were required to sacrifice a lot for the Lord, and oil was part of it. And oil was, like, not cheap back then. It's not like going to the store and buying a $2 olive oil. Like, it was not that way at all. Um, so God is the light of the world, and he will always be the light of the world, and that's what he wanted to display in his temple. And now today, like, we're called to be those that light, right? If we are the temple, we have the lampstand inside of us. We are supposed to be the light shining into the world, shining in the darkness. Um, we have to live in a way that's different, act in a way that's different, and not be ashamed of it because God made us to be light. So why would we try to blend in with the darkness? Um, but it is very uncomfortable to be the light that everyone's looking at. But um, that's what we're called to do. Um, the fourth was the tabernacle structure. Um, so that's 26, chapter 26, 1 through 27. And this represented God's presence among his people. Um, so here, this is like the section that describes the curtain that um, separated the Holy of Holies, which is where God dwelled from the outer parts of the tabernacle. So it's that 
it was a super thick curtain, and it's in Matthew. Matthew tells us that when Jesus died, that curtain split in two. So it's this, it's just this reminder that God's presence is with his people, but here there's still separation because there hasn't been that perfect sacrifice that's been made. Um, so yeah, it's a reminder that God, access to God at this time was limited. limited. Um, only certain people could go in and meet with God. You could only meet with God if you had a mediator, if you had the high priest with you. Um, but now we can go to God anytime. We have access to him all the time. We can pray to him anytime. We don't need someone in between us. We don't need to go to a priest to confess our sins. We can literally just confess our sins as soon as you sin. Like, if you fall into temptation and you sin, two seconds later you can ask for forgiveness. There's no, there's no waiting in God's book anymore because of Jesus. Um, so yeah, pretty cool. And then now that curtain is split in two, which is that symbolism that Matthew was getting at. Um, this amazing picture of this thick curtain that shielded us from the power of God is now split in half. Um, and there's no more, no more barrier between us and God. And then we have the bronze altar. So this was at the entrance, um, and it showed that entrance to God's presence had to be made through sacrifice. So the bronze altar was like ginormous, like you could not miss it. And that's where the sacrifices were made. That's where people would come and offer their sacrifices. And it was at the entrance of the tabernacle showing that in order to go be with the Lord, you had to sacrifice for your sins, that you had to be made clean, you had to be cleansed. Um, but now our sacrifice is Jesus. Notice that everything is like back to Jesus, like all goes back to him. Um, now all we have to do is turn our eyes to Jesus, the true sacrifice. And now we no longer have to make sacrifices. He's the last and only and perfect sacrifice. And so now we no longer have to somehow do enough in order to go be with the Lord. All we have to do is just ask for forgiveness. And it's an amazing mercy that we don't deserve, um, but it should just light our hearts on fire for the Lord. Um, are you guys sure I'm not going too fast? Okay. Um, and then we have the court of the tabernacle, and this showed that God's presence was guarded. So there's only one entrance to the court of the tabernacle, and this is kind of crazy, and I didn't, I'm not gonna go into this too much, but the tabernacle is set up like the Garden of Eden. How crazy is that? Did you know that, Andrea? Yes. I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that kind of stuff is so cool. I know. It is so cool. It's so cool. So the, the tabernacle is set up like the Garden of Eden, and the Garden of Eden only had one entrance, I think, on the east side, and the tabernacle only had one entrance, only had one entrance on the east side. And so um, you can look into that more, too, on your own time. But, like, everything in the tabernacle reflects the Garden of Eden. So cool. Um... So yeah, um, you were only allowed to enter in at certain times. You were only allowed to enter in with certain people. Um, there are limitations to interacting with God. Um, but now we have a great high priest, Jesus, and we can go to God anytime, any place. There are no doors. There's no one guarding the gates. He is all ours and we are all his. And then finally, we have the oil to the lamp. Um, and it shows that God's presence is always with us. The lamp never went out. It constantly had oil with it. It was constantly shining. Um, this lamp is a reminder that God's continuous presence was with them. God will always be near to them, and God's light was shining on them. Um, so this light is also a reminder to serve the Lord day and night. So if the light is on, you're serving the Lord, you're praising the Lord, whether it's daytime or nighttime. Um, so yeah, but now God's light is in us, kind of like we talked about before. <clears throat> so yeah, out of all these parts of the tabernacle, which one stands out to you the most? And why? Hmm. 
why did that one stand out to you? Just the light and the yeah. darkness. It's just that no matter how deep you go in the darkness, mm. there's just you're gonna still see a little light, but yeah. once you get closer, just get brighter. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I think everybody knows my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, I've Is it the oil, Maddie? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've just always found a lot of comfort and just like being like the table and now it's just like no matter how much you mess up or no matter how far you get, like there will literally always be like a seat for you. Like it'll be like all ready to go, like your meal will be there, you'll have your little cup and your like your silverware and it'll look all nice and It'll literally always be there. Mm. It's so cool. That's so cool. And Jesus will just be like, come on back. Here's your food. Mm. Are you hungry? We know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just find it really comforting. Yeah. Mm. Georgia. Georgia agrees. Oh yeah, food. <laughs> he doesn't say like like you're being so stupid, like why did you leave again? Yeah. Like the the father that like the shepherd that went after his sheep like puts it around his shoulders, carries it home and then has like a party. He never asks sh- he never tells the sheep, You're so stupid. Stupid sheep, I'm gonna put you in time out. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, welcome, go back. Yeah. What's with all of like the gold? Because mm. I mean, I kind of skimmed through the first three. Yeah. Days. Yeah. Make it a pure gold. Was there like something? Um. Well, I guess I'll. Very precious metal. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I was gonna ask the question like kind of back, like why do you think God wanted gold in all His temple? Yeah. So, like, all of the things that he asks to be used, the type of wood, the color of linen, the oil, right, everything that he asks to be used in the building of a temple, a tabernacle, it's the highest possible quality. Mm. Like, royalty would wear blue and purple and scarlet, and those are the colors he asks to be used. And, like, oil is a hot commodity, right? And so he asks for nothing but the best. He asks for nothing but the finest, the purest, the most. And he gives them instructions on how to do that, obviously. Like, the the altar, it's supposed to be hollow because if it was pure bronze, like, it says it's supposed to be overlaid with bronze. If it was pure bronze, it would be way too heavy to carry. Mm-hmm. Like, so, like, he does things wisely because he's God. But everything that he requests to be used is such high quality. It's, like, mm-hmm. the sure best. He's the king. He's the king. He mm-hmm. deserves the best. This is... This is the place. Like, it's not just your tent, you know. This is the mm. Lord's place. Like, we need to build the Lord a dwelling place. The best that we can possibly make it on earth, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I like what you said, Maddie. You're like, because he's the king. I was like, you're, you're saying high quality, and you're saying yeah. that that's what kings on earth deserve. Mm-hmm. But he's technically the king, too. Yeah. He yeah. deserves the exact same. He's not even asking for things above the king's on earth but he's still saying I'm yeah. Mm. yeah that's really cool my favorite thing about these laws and then even like all the boring ones in Leviticus and oh my is that her <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great she has no shame that's alright um, the lord doesn't write these laws to be picky he doesn't write them just because he can he doesn't say here's your instructions because i'm god and i think it would be fun to make you guys do all this work and carry Mm -hmm. all this heavy stuff like 
he knows that without these instructions, and then even in Leviticus, without those instructions and all those crazy laws, people couldn't be close to him. Like, they couldn't come into the temple. They couldn't get there. They couldn't be part of it. And he makes all these laws and gives it all to them because he wants to have a relationship with them. He says, these, this is the way that it's going to be able to work because of the way that you have sinned and who I am. This is what has to happen for us to continue to have a relationship. And I think it's so cool. He, like, lays it out and he says, here's what you need to do and we can still be friends. Hmm. You know? Like, he doesn't leave them guessing or, like, just, just try and be good. Like, he says, here's what you need to do and we can still have a relationship. Hmm. Like, it's just so straightforward. I think it's great. Hmm. So I can okay. pick one. <laughs> you like them all. Huh? You like them all. I like them all. I mean, it's... He doesn't leave anything to question. He yeah. says, here's what you do. And I'll be here for you. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Great. God's like, come on my terms, because I'm God. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts? What are you guys' what part of the tabernacle stands out to you and why? I think like it's so interesting how like every single one of these like has something to do with God's presence. Mm. Like it just makes me like wonder like why is it so important for like us to know God like we know God knows us but like why was it so important for God to make us but not only just make us but also make us like be aware of him because mm. he could have just made us just so then he could be aware of us well, why do we have to be aware of him right. so it's just like it's a, it's a pondering question yeah. I mean it's, it's not like a make it or break it question but it's just a question like why did God want us to like know that he existed hmm. and why did he like write all these laws about that right yeah yeah that's a really good question mm-hmm. yeah it's maybe reaching but hmm. do you think maybe he talks about like God's presence so much it's like a it's the Holy it's the Holy Spirit like a thing at this point um I mean he is a thing because like God never changes well, but yeah he hasn't like come down to live inside of people right. That's maybe like a foreshadowing. Mm. Like, yeah, I definitely think so. Yeah, because that's really good. Because like, I should keep my comments to myself. I'm sorry. (laughs) What? It just flew right out. (laughs) Oh, good comment. Without your comments, Angie, I would be much quieter. (laughs) For sure. It'd be a lot more boring. (laughs) Yeah, I well, because the whole point of this is reflecting God, pointing to Jesus. And, like, the Holy Spirit is used throughout the Old Testament. Like, it says, like, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and that's how he was yeah. able to fight his battle. But, like, the Spirit never lives inside of people. But I think you're right in the fact, like, this is just a, sim- like, this is just a picture pointing to something that's going to be even greater, that we're going to become the temple, and God's going to choose to dwell inside of us. And, I mean, I guess going back to the gold analogy, like, when you think of it, like, God only wants the best for us. Yeah. Even if it's what we don't like. Huh. He only wants to, like because right. that makes sense yeah which um, I think is tied back into what Elise just said of like why does God care about us knowing him it's because God does know what's best for us he wants what's best for us and that best looks like being in relationship and fellowship mm-hmm. and knowledge of him it's yeah. good stuff any other thoughts comments confusions Cool. How do you guys think your life would be different if you constantly remembered that God dwelled within you? I don't know about you, but I always forget that like God dwells in me. Also, how crazy is it that like we're all if we're all believers right now, which I I think we're all believers. God knows. 
that's crazy that God is literally present in me and then in Andrea right now and Maddie and Caitlin and one day Georgia, right? Georgie. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like God is present in all of us at once. That's so cool. Anyway, but how do you guys think your life would be different if you constantly knew and were aware that God lived inside of you? I think I would be less afraid yeah. of everything because <laughs> he was so much more scary and having like that good fear of the Lord is like just able to fix that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, fear would not be as big in our minds. I would go. Okay. <laughs> I think it would be harder to sin. Yeah. Much harder to sin. Like if like I don't know, just like every moment, like you just knew God lived in you. I feel like it made it way harder to sin. Yeah. Mm. It's like that was the first thought on your mind at every moment. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, why would I allow that to happen in the temple? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of going along with that, priorities would shift for sure. Mm -hmm. Like you wouldn't be thinking about sinning or be thinking about what's going on later today mm. you'd be in the here and now right. focusing on the presence of the Lord mm. yeah. the things of earth would become a lot less important yeah oh for sure hmm. I think I would probably struggle so much less with the am I enough concept like if it was at the front of my brain every single day all the time if it was the thing I focused on all the time that the Lord is within me, the Lord is guiding all these things, you know, all this stuff, I would never think, oh, I'm not good enough. Because literally the Lord is within me. Hmm. Like, he's made me good enough. He's done it for me. I don't have to be anything because he is everything. Like, Hmm. I would never struggle with feeling like I'm inadequate or not enough because if God's there, he's doing it all anyways, right? Mm. I'm already removed from the situation, so I can't screw it up any further. Yeah, and he, like, chose you to live inside of and yeah. to save and to, and to, which is a whole other thing that just makes you cry if you think about it long enough. Like, what? <laughs> like, we were singing, um, what song is it? The one where we, say, where we say over and over, is it called Great I Am? Great I Am, whatever. I am chosen, not for sake. That was Whichever one we were singing on Sunday. We just sang something about the great I am over and over and over. And I was just sitting there thinking to myself, I was like, oh my gosh, he is, so I don't have to be. He is, so that I never have to be like this. He's amazing. And that's what would be at the front of my mind all the time if this was something I constantly focused on. Mm. Like, you would never struggle with not enough. Because mm. you would just not be in the picture. God would be everything. So good. Yeah, it's and it's crazy because we can get to that point, right? Like, it's a reality that God lives inside of us all the time, whether we know it or not. So it's a reality that we can be meditating on Him, be thinking about Him to the point where our fears start to shrink, the things of this world start to shrink, the "I am enough" starts to shrink, and you start to say, "I am enough" because of Jesus. And so it can have it it is happening like allow God to transform your heart be with him spend time with him meditate on the Holy Spirit think about his word like memorize it write it on your heart and then you'll see 
God just do a wonder in your life of making those things actually come to play because you are trusting in the Holy Spirit and you're allowing him to work in your life. Um, so all those things you guys said, those are totally possible by the power of God working in you. Um, so yeah, that's all I have for today. Any last minute comments? Cool. Um, who would like to close us out in prayer? I will always volunteer, but I'll always wait for someone else to also. I will go. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, thank you so much, Tyler, for um, this time of fellowship with everyone here. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you that you alone are enough for us and that you can sustain us through anything we go through. We love you and we just acknowledge your presence here and that you're here with us as we gather in your name, you're also here with us as we go and depart from each other. We pray for a great rest of our week and that um, everything we do and each step we take would be honoring you. We say these things in your name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I like that Delaney was like, three steps. Stop it. Go for it. Three hour nap. She took three steps while everyone was Podcast, in case you didn't oh. hear. Yeah. Georgia just took her first steps while we all had our eyes closed praying, and it was so wonderful. <laughs> walk, walk, walk. Walk, walk. All right, everyone say goodbye. Bye, podcast.